Father, we're so thankful in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being able to commune with you as our Father. It's such a privilege that the creation can commune with the Creator. So, Father, right now we enter into your name. We run into your name. Holy Spirit, grant utterance this morning. Let us hear a word from God that will frame our lives and lead us into our destiny. Uh, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I shared on a topic, contending for the faith. And I drew my text from Jude, I believe it was verse 3, when Jude said he found it necessary to write to the people of God to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. You know, the Bible talks about us examining ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And this is the faith that this letter or Jude was talking about in this letter. There is the faith. Just because it makes a lot of noise, just because a lot of people are flocking to it, doesn't make it the faith. To understand the faith, you need to go back to what was once and for all delivered to the saints. We've been looking at Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, where he says that once again, the Lord will shake the heavens and the earth. He will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of the nations. And in Hebrews 12, it says that the reason why he says once again is because everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but in order that that which cannot be shaken will remain. And we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ establishes you in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So it is time to contend for that faith which was once delivered to the saints. You may have been a Christian for a long time, but as revelation is coming, it is important that you do not allow your theology to get in the way of truth. Amen. Always be ready to make adjustments and changes because your theology, though it may be based on a sincere heart, may actually be incorrect. Hallelujah. So it's important that we go back to the beginning and look at those, the way they lived and understand that that faith was given complete, praise the Lord. God reveals himself over time, but regarding the faith and the substance of the faith, he revealed it completely, amen. So we can go back to the apostles, we can go back to the first generation and see how they lived. Now, I'm not going to go over old ground, I'm going to, um, because I really have a lot to talk about this morning, but identified some key things that represented the faith as practiced or established by the Lord and also practiced by the apostles and the early fathers. Some of the hallmarks of the faith were, number one, they were a people of love. They were known for their love. Amen. It wasn't for the size of the churches they had. It wasn't for the kind of cars they drove, but for their love. Amen. They knew how to abound and how to be abased, but what was common was their love for one another. They operated as one in love. And if you want the details of that, you should check out, uh, download the message from last week, which is on our website. The first thing is they were known for love. The second thing is the fact that Christianity was known to be a sold-out life. Amen. 
once you became a Christian, once you got baptized, baptism was an immersion, was a physical representation of a spiritual reality. Yeah, the word baptize is the Greek word baptizo, which really speaks about immersion, completely immersed. It wasn't a Christian word. It was a word that they were familiar with uh, because whenever somebody embraced a faith or a new faith, they got baptized into it. Uh, And when they were baptized, they were saying symbolically that as I am being immersed completely into this water, my old life, everything you know about me is over. As I am coming out of this water, I am walking in a new life. And that is why... Paul, in Romans 6 verse 4 says, being buried with him by baptism into death, so that as he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we walk. Everyone say we walk. It is that we believe. He says we walk in newness of life. So what you believe will impact the way you walk. Amen. If it is not impacting the way you walk, you don't really believe it. Praise the Lord. Okay, so getting into Christ, there was a declaration of a newness of life and they walked differently. It was a sold out life. They only had one Lord and that was Jesus Christ. Amen. And that is why Jesus, even in talking about discipleship, he says that if you you are going to come after me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Even Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10, it says that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and um, if you declare with your mouth the lordship of Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, the word Lord is kurion. It was a word that in Roman times was reserved for the emperor. He was worshipped as a king. So if you declare Jesus as your Lord, the one you bow your knees to, what you are saying is he's the only one you worship. Hallelujah. He's not a compartment in your life. He is your life. Yeah. So entering into Christ and being a disciple of Christ was understood to be a sold out life. Your time was no longer your own. Your resources were no longer your own. You serve the Lord. Hallelujah. As his servant. And that is why all through the epistles, we see the apostles calling themselves over and over again, the bond servants of the Lord. We've gone through this before. A bond servant is one who is free, but because they love their master, choose to serve him for the rest of their lives. Amen. So number two, being a Christian, it's a sold out life. Jesus said, I've not come to bring peace on the earth. I've come to bring a sword. When you walk with the Lord, at some point or the other, your priorities will be clear for you to know. Hallelujah. Because he says that if you love mother and father and brother and sister and child more than me, you are not worthy of me. Hallelujah. Amen. So he's not saying that you should not love your family or you love your children. Of course, he's given us our family and our children. But he should always be your Lord. Amen. He should always be the supreme one. Hallelujah. So being in Christ or coming into Christ... Or being a Christian is a sold out life. So if you have been sold anything other than that, understand that that is not the faith. If I want to move country, I want to change jobs, I really need to talk to the master. It's not about who's offering me more money, all right? It's not about where the greatest opportunities are, okay? That may be good for some people, but it's not good for the child of God. Because you have a king, hallelujah. You are not meant to be afraid to consult the master because he loves you. 
He predestined you before the foundation of the world. He has a plan for your life. So bowing your knees before the king is what king's kids do. Amen. All right. Seeking his face and following his plan for your life is going to lead you into his high calling. Because it doesn't cost to serve God. It pays. Yes, there's a high price. But when you look at the reward of it, you realize that every temporal inconvenience is working for you a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So being in Christ is a sold out life. Number three, we saw the power of fellowship. And we established the fact that you will never fulfill God's purpose in your life if you do not understand the importance of fellowship. Koinonia, yeah? In the epistle of John, 1 John chapter 1, he said, What we have seen and handled concerning the word of life, we are declaring to you that you have fellowship with us because our fellowship is with the Father. Amen. So he says that we are declaring this word so you can come into fellowship with us because our fellowship is with the Father. When you get born again, you get born into a fellowship, a vertical fellowship with the Father and a horizontal fellowship with one another. The Bible says we should not forsake the assembling together of one another as the habit of some is. Some have entered the habit of not going to church. And it doesn't really matter whether it's a building like this. It doesn't matter where you meet because the church is not the building. The church is the people, right? If there is a place you go to every week, whether it's on a Sunday or a Thursday or a Monday, and um, you are gathering together as believers, and you, know, you have a, a leadership structure that you submit to, that is a church, Praise the Lord. And it says we should not forsake the assembling together of one another as the habit of some is. Okay? Our fellowship, you cannot be correctly connected to the head if you are not correctly connected to his body. All right? It's not just about, oh, I have my fellowship with the Lord. No. It is fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. Ephesians 4.16 tells us that the body of Christ grows by what every joint supplies. A joint is not a body part. A joint is the place where two parts meet. Yeah? So if two parts are not meeting, then you are not growing. You might have great revelation and great insight, but you are not growing if you are not in fellowship. You are not being built into a spiritual house if you are not in fellowship. Hallelujah. You know, we are all under authority. I think one of the first things that modern life does is it tries to establish this spirit of independence. Well, in Christ, we are not independent, we are interdependent, all right? And God has ordained that your growth will be found in the place of interdependence, on dependence on him and dependence on one another. Hallelujah. Now, if we decide that, you know what, I can do what I want. The Lord will allow you to do what you want to do, but you will not get into his high calling for your life. It's just the way it is. All right? The only way this hand can get away from my body is if I sever the hand. And you know, once I sever this hand, it can go and become independent, but it's going to be independently dead. Is it not? All right? Because it may look like a hand, but the life source and the supply that comes to that hand is going to be cut off. It is in the context of fellowship. It is in the context of the body of Christ that you will grow. Hallelujah. That is the way it works. And whether you like it or not, or whether I like it or not, 
Hallelujah. Amen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Praise God. All right. That's the way it works. And it has, it has been put that way for our blessing. I remember a few years ago, a young man came into my office. He just went through our membership class. And, you know, one of my great privileges as a pastor is I pastor people who are a lot better than I am. And I recognize that. And, um, you know, my role as a pastor is not because I'm better than anyone else. It's just what God has called me to do. Amen. And I think it's a great privilege that I can, I can be responsible for people like yourselves. Amen. So he came into my office and he was talking about some of the things he has done as a minister. You know, God is leading people to this church who are also ministers in their own right. And the reason why he's leading you here is because he has something for you to receive from this ministry and something to give to this ministry. Amen. Um, so this man came in and he's done some really great work and was talking about one of the... Um, one of the last meetings, and he operates in the prophetic, and he, you know, he does some great healing ministries and stuff. You know, he was saying to me how he had some revelations and, you know, just some very accurate words of knowledge. And he was in a meeting, and what he had seen in his room that would happen in that meeting happened exactly the way... I'm, not trying, I'm trying to... So basically, he was praying about this meeting he was going to, and he saw this woman wearing a particular outfit. I think she was blind or something. And in his room, as he was praying, he saw this woman, and he called her out and laid hands on her, and she got healed. So he went to this meeting that he was being invited to, or he had been invited to, and as he was preaching, he saw the woman he saw in his vision. I mean, how many of you would like that kind of uh, scenario? So he called her out with boldness. She was wearing exactly the same thing. She was blind. And he called her out with boldness and prayed for her, but unfortunately, she didn't get healed. So he went back home and he was praying and saying, Lord, what, what, why? I mean, I saw everything the way it should have worked. What happened? What, where did I go wrong? And as he was praying about it, he said, the Lord said to him that you have gotten out of line with my plan for your life because you have not submitted yourself to a pastor. Yeah. So he was in my office saying, you know, I am here because I know that I am anointed, but I'm out of line with the plan of God. And this is where he wants me to submit to. Now, that's a phenomenal story. Yeah, it shows that, and it's not because I am anything or we are anything, it's because we are all under authority. We're all what? We're all under authority. That is how the body of Christ functions. Yeah, if you don't have people in your life that can instruct you to do certain things, then you are not under authority. I, as a pastor, I am under authority. There are people that, if they tell me to do stuff, even if I don't understand it, I'll do it because I trust them. I am not able to judge everything because I only know what I know. That's why you have parents. Shandai. I wasn't going to say all this this morning, but I guess it's helping somebody. All right. But if you are the one that orchestrates and leads your life, then you are not under authority. Yeah. So the Lord has put us in the context of a body because that is how we're going to grow. So the power of fellowship, everyone talk about the power of fellowship. And then they, they also did this, which is number four, on the contending for the faith. They were devoted to hearing his voice, hearing him, and being his messengers. They were devoted to knowing the voice of God, hearing from him, and being his messengers. They were devoted to knowing his voice, hearing from him, and being his messengers. You know, we've been sold the wrong thing when we think that it is the pastor that is meant to hear for us. Or the prophet that is meant to hear for us. The fivefold ministry gifts, as um, stated in Ephesians 4, 
uh, to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. If the fivefold ministry gifts do their job right, then they will equip you with what they have. Hallelujah. That's the only thing they can equip you with. A pastor has been called to the office of a pastor, but that pastor's job is to equip you. Hallelujah. So that you can take care of others. The teacher is going to bring insight and revelation so that you can understand or we can understand the things of God, but we need to be in a place where we can teach others also. The prophet who sees and hears and is called into that ministry, the only equipment the prophet has is the equipment that he has. So we as the body of Christ are meant to be prophetic. Yeah, The apostle, the evangelist, the equipment they have, if they are doing their jobs right, and if we are submitting correctly to that ministry, we are meant to receive equipment to be able to go out and win others to the faith and also establish kingdom structures in our lives and in our world of influence. So when we talk about the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the people that, were, that came into Christ understood and as a result they were devoted to knowing his voice, hearing from him and being his messengers. And that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. I've titled the message this morning, Building the King's Highway. I just trust the Lord to help me this morning because I feel that as we receive revelation, it is important that we make the required adjustments. And not just um, adjustments in our personal lives, but as a pastor and the leader of this ministry, I must make adjustments to structures that we have in order to be in alignment with God's plan for us. Amen. You know, there are things that babies do, and there are things that are appropriate for adolescents, and you know, but when you get into adulthood, there are things required of an adult. Amen. And, um, and I believe that the Lord is moving us as a ministry um, into, um, into a newer phase. Let us open to Acts 26. Because of time, I'll try to be quick. Some of you chuckled like, we don't believe you. You're saying it. I did say try. You're right. Verse 1 says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa. Because today I stand, I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I'm accused by the Jews, especially because you're an expert in all the customs and questions that have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. And then Paul begins to talk about his life. He begins to talk about the fact that he was born a Jew and he was educated as a Jew. And look at verse 5. He says, they knew me from the first if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And then he begins to talk about how he, um, he went in the line of the tradition of his fathers and how he began to persecute the church. But then something happened that changed his direction. He received a revelation from God. He was on the road to Damascus. He was there to go and persecute Christians. But then if you go down to verse 12, we see the story says, While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard 
a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then the Lord begins to reveal to Paul his mission. Yeah. Verse 16 says, but arise and stand on your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things you have seen and of the things I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So Paul was going in a particular direction and then he received a vision that changed his direction. Amen. Always be open to God to give you revelation that will change your direction. Uh, you don't really know who you are. You only know the part of you that you have experienced so far. Uh, and one of the things I love about the first century church was that they devoted themselves to hearing his voice and following his leading. Amen. And they were willing to make adjustments according to the revelation they received. We see another example in Acts chapter 10 when Peter fell into a trance and in this trance, God told him to kill and eat. And there were all kinds of beasts and four-footed beasts that were considered unclean in the Old Testament. And he had been raised not to eat anything unclean. And the Lord said to him, kill and eat. And he said, God, I can't kill and eat because this is unclean. Can you imagine God giving you an instruction and you telling him that, God, you don't know who I am. I don't do this stuff. Okay? And the Lord says, that which I have sanctified, do not call unclean. So as a result of that revelation, Peter followed the, the messengers that had been sent from Cornelius' house. And Peter, a Jew, entered the house of a Gentile and preached the gospel to him. He made an adjustment based on insight and revelation. Hallelujah. Look at this last verse. Uh, look at Exodus 25. I'm sort of ministering on different levels here. I'm giving you some insight into what you need to do as a child of God in terms of understanding what the faith is about. If you are in the faith, then you will dedicate yourself to hearing his voice and following his leading. And you know, what God did for Paul and Peter, he will do for you. He will give you a revelation that, will, that may change your direction. And as a servant of God, you know, he said, I have made you a minister and a witness. The word minister is the Greek word huperotes, which speaks about an under rower, a servant in the Roman galleon who powered the ship but wasn't seen. Hallelujah. Yeah? So he says, I am making you a servant. I am making you my servant, and my servant will go where I direct them to go. I'm going to lead you where you should go. This is my purpose for your life. If Paul were to put together his own SWOT analysis and his, um, you know, five-year plan, he would never have considered himself somebody who would be preaching the gospel that he felt he was called to persecute. Are you with me? So on one level, I am teaching you things that you as a child of God can press into and expect God to give you revelation that will bring an adjustment. But I'm also speaking as a minister in this church Speaking about the revelation God has given me as a minister, which is going to determine the direction I believe God is leading us as a church. Paul says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I was not disobedient to what? The heavenly vision. 
Look at Exodus 25 verse 8. Now we know the story. They're in the wilderness and God gives them an instruction to build a tabernacle. Let's go straight to verse 8. He says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings just so you shall make it. You know, building a tabernacle in the wilderness was not their idea. It was God's idea. And the whole purpose was God wanted to reveal himself to them in a way that their ancestors had never experienced before. He was going to come and tabernacle in their midst. But he says, if you want me to fill this place, you need to build it according to the pattern I show you. All right? This is not about getting all the McKinsey consultants together to come up with a plan, even though there is, uh, there's great benefit in having a lot of McKinsey consultants in our midst like we do in our church. He says, I'm going to show you something. And if you follow my pattern, then my presence will fill it. You see, we're not called to be the most popular church. We're not called to have the most people. The only calling we have is to be obedient to him. That's the only calling. It's not to be the most popular, not to have the most people, just to be obedient and build according to his pattern. I'll give you a secret. Whenever God calls you to do anything, it is not because you are competent. You are never competent and you will never be competent for what God calls you to do. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 says we are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as concerning ourselves. Our sufficiencies of God who has made us able ministers of the new covenant. You see, in Christ, it is the grace of God that enables you to do what he wants you to do, not your competence. There is nothing wrong with competence, but God will always call you to do stuff that you are not competent to do. In fact, when he called Moses, Moses took time to explain to God how incompetent he was for the assignment that God had called him to do. He said, don't you realize, 40 years ago, I tried this, and I failed at it. And then he began to talk about his inability to speak eloquently, his lack of credentials. You see, God still calls the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and the weak things to confound the mighty. You see, when, when Moses went into this explanation, he did not please God. In fact, the more he spoke to God about his level of incompetence, the angrier God got. Hallelujah. So God will never call you. You see, I don't consider myself competent. So when people say I am incompetent, I'm agreeing with you. Understand? I'm being honest. All right? I feel that I'm wearing shoes that are too big for my feet. And you better be wearing shoes that are too big for your feet. Otherwise, they're not the shoes God has given you. So it is important if we embrace the understanding that this is not a popularity contest. This is not a size contest. This is an obedience contest. Therefore, it is imperative that we receive revelation. God said to Moses, and this is not just about the church, it's about your life. Jeremiah said, the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. That's Jeremiah 10.23. My life is bigger than what I can design. 
Before I was born, he knew me and he sends me out to fulfill purpose. He says, my presence will fill it if you build according to my pattern. It is important when you join a church like this to understand where we're going because otherwise you'll get confused. You need to understand where we're going. You know, it's like being in a decathlon <laughs> and thinking that you are in a 100-meter sprint. They do the 100 meters. And then they suddenly stop running. And then they grab bikes and start riding. I think, but, but, and then they get to the end, <laughs> to the coast, and they jump into the water. These guys do not know what they're doing. Well, it's because of the kind of race they're in. Yeah? So it is important to understand where we're going. I'd like us to open to Isaiah 40. Hallelujah. I believe that it is a fruit of arrogance and self-centeredness when you feel that you have to be knowledgeable enough and strong enough and wise enough for God to use you. Yeah? In fact, what I discover is that the more you grow in God, the more you realize how little you know and how much you don't know. The more you grow, the more, the more you realize, you know, one of the greatest prayers I have ever learned, and I learned this from Rick Joyner's book, um, The Final Quest. He said for years he prayed this prayer. God, show me the level of my present deception. And you know, I, I got that book about 21 years ago. And since then, I have been praying that prayer. And I must tell you that God answers prayers. Yeah? Because now, it's like the longer I live, the more I re receive insight into my level of the present. You know, why is present deception? Because as you walk further, you find out that you're even more deceived than you realize. <laughs> You understand? Oh, Lord, help us. But in his grace, he keeps opening our eyes to see more. And the more we see, the more we realize how much we can't see. Yeah, what we haven't seen. In Isaiah 40, and that is why humility is no longer difficult because humility is just um, understanding the true nature of things. Yeah? You don't have to try to be humble because the more of God you know, the more humble you become because he opens your eyes to the true reality of things and you realize that you're not that much. If you're trying to be humble, you haven't seen a lot yet. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Humility is, the, is a true state of affairs. You understanding the true state of affairs. So Isaiah 40, I getting something from this this morning. Okay. Isaiah 40, uh, verse 3 says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the end result is what? The glory of the Lord will be revealed. We saw Haggai 2.6. It says the glory of God will fill the earth. Hallelujah. It's a season of glory. Yeah. The shaking is to bring the glory of God. It's a season of glory for your life, for my life, for the church. For the nation, it is a season of glory. But it says that before that season of glory, there's going to be a voice crying in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert 
a highway for our God, etc., etc. Let us look at a few verses real quick, and then I'll try to tie them up. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So he says, I'm going to send my messenger before me. Look at chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So Isaiah prophesied that the Lord is coming and the day of glory is coming. But before then, there's going to be a voice saying, prepare the way of the Lord and make a highway for our God. So the way we prepare the way of the Lord is we build a heavenly highway. Okay, I'm coming to that. And then he says, Elijah is going to come. And uh, in the spirit and power of Elijah, he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. Now look at John chapter 1. Look at verse 19. He says, now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as prophet Isaiah said. So John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord. Everyone say, prepare the way of the Lord. And he declared why he was there. He basically quoted from Isaiah and said that I have come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And Jesus attested to it that John came to prepare the way of the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, you know, the ministry of Elijah was very significant because what Elijah did was that he revealed the true God of Israel to the nation in a time of growing national crisis. If you study the life of Elijah, you see that he lived in a time when things were going bad. Yeah, It was the time of Ahab and Jezebel. And Elijah, through his ministry, was able to lay a foundation for Elisha, who doubled what he did, but Elijah laid a foundation for repentance and restoration. Is that not what happened? We see the power of God revealed through Elijah. He went on Mount Carmel. He caused drought in the land. He called fire from heaven. He killed the prophets of Baal. He basically had a ministry to prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist did exactly the same thing. Yeah? He prepared the way of the Lord. He was the one that announced the coming of Jesus. People came to John the Baptist's ministry and they were repenting. Yeah, there was a foundation of repentance. And then he baptized Jesus in the Jordan. And then his disciples began to follow Jesus. And he said, you know what? He must increase while I must decrease. Preparing the way of the Lord. 
You know, um, I've said this here a lot of times, but I'll say it again very briefly. You know, a few years ago, I had a night vision. And in this night vision, I was in a bulldozer in a car park. And that dream actually changed my life. And I believe that it was one of those revelations that as a minister, I must not be disobedient to that heavenly vision. Amen. Because that vision was a vision of God and um, it has changed the orientation of this ministry. And I cannot lead this ministry and not obey what God is revealing. In fact, the reason why you are here and why you feel a call to this ministry is because of God's mandate on this house. Amen. You know, in the land of Israel, there were 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah? But it was just one nation. In like manner, in this day, there are going to be different ministries and they're going to have different identities. It's like different camps in the army. And each camp has its own assignments. All right? And that is why you don't just join a church because their singing is good. All right? Uh, it is important that you understand what the mandate on the house is. I know the Lord always leads you to green pastures and still waters. And whenever the Lord leads you to a place, that baby within your womb will come alive and it will leap. Hallelujah. That is how you know that ah, I'm in the right place. You know, there are things you may not understand, but there's something on the inside that leaps. Hallelujah. So it is important to understand the mandate of the house. Amen. So I was in this bulldozer. Everyone knows what a bulldozer is. I was in a car park, a bulldozer. And, um, you know, bulldozers aren't meant for a car park. They are meant for outdoor terrain. But I was in this car park. It was a residential car park, and there were houses, blocks of flats around me. And because of my elevated position, I could see into the apartments. And I saw different ministers praying for people and ministering to people. And they were doing good work. Everyone said they were doing what? They were doing good work. And I could observe them. In fact, I saw in a palm where someone was kneeling down and this guy was laying hands on her. But I was trying to get my bulldozer out of the car park. And, um, but I was hedged in. But I thought, you know what? By fire, by force, I'm getting this thing out. So I tried to move it and I ended up driving over somebody's car. And I knew that the car belonged to one of the ministers. So I was like, how am I going to pay for this guy's car? And as I was contemplating on that, somebody came out of another apartment and he said, there's going to be a new prophetic paradigm in this time. There's a new pattern. Everyone say pattern. There's a new pattern for this time. So God was saying to me that he's doing something new. Hallelujah. He's doing what? Something new. And for some reason, he has chosen me and the ministry I lead to be part of it. And he's going to make a way out of that car park for us to actually start doing our job. You know, when we moved into this facility, I had another vision. The night before the Sunday that I preached here, I had another vision. And in that vision, there was a, a truck. It was like a truck that was parked in a big valley. There were a lot of trucks that hadn't been used. But my truck hadn't been used. You know, these U.S. trucks that carry, carry a lot of stuff, like for haulage and stuff. And I could see that the gates of this, everyone ever seen where they dump planes that have not been used for a long time? Plane graveyard, anyway. But it wasn't like that, you know, this truck was new and it was a very powerful truck, 
But basically, a way had been made. And it was like it was time to move out of that car park. A way had been made. So I knew when I got up that we were entering to a phase where even though we had been hedged in by the will of God, we were moving out of that car park. Are you following me this morning? So I was in this car park and I could see ministry. And I said, there's a new model happening in this time. There's a new paradigm happening in this time. And when I woke up, I wondered what that dream was about. Now, I know a bulldozer is powerful. A bulldozer is strong. I know a bulldozer is for turning earth. I know a bulldozer is for pulling down and building. And my mind went to what God said to Jeremiah when he said that this day I've set you over nations and over kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. So my mind went to that, but for some reason I knew that there was much more to that revelation that I was seeing. And as I began to pray about it, one month we were having an all-night prayer meeting, I was just praying and the Lord opened my eyes to what that bulldozer dream was about. He reminded me about this scripture in Isaiah 40. He said that he has given us a ministry to prepare the way of the Lord. Hallelujah. To build a highway for our God. To prepare the way of the Lord. Well, you may say every ministry is meant to be doing that. No, but there is a... uh, John the Baptist had a specific calling. There were some people doing great stuff during John the Baptist's time, but he had a specific calling to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, what is this new paradigm? What is this new way that the Lord is calling us to build in order that we may prepare his way? You know, it's a little bit like a runway. For a plane to land, you have to build a runway. In fact, the bigger the plane, the more powerful the plane, the longer the runway has to be. Now, I believe that High Life is called, just like with a lot of other ministries, to be part of God's end-time move to prepare His way. And I believe that a new paradigm is being instituted. Now, what is that new paradigm? Number one, the new paradigm is one in which we all move together. We all move what? You see, the old paradigm, you had stars on the pulpit. They had big churches, and they were led. They had strong charisma, and that was how the church moved forward. It didn't really matter what was happening to the person in the pew, necessarily. People didn't have to understand much. They just trusted the man of God, okay? And the pattern, that was a pattern in the past. And you see that pattern in the 10 plagues in Egypt, where Moses just got up and declared. Yeah? The final plague, the one with the firstborn in Egypt died. In order for that to happen, every household had to come into the same understanding. It required everybody to do something. Are you with me? Everybody had to understand what was going on, and they followed a set of instructions. They had to come into higher knowledge. The previous place, all they needed to do was sit in their homes and it would happen. The new paradigm, number one, is one in which we all move together. That means that your own personal responsibility in understanding truth is more required than ever. Are you with me? So that whole era of, oh, 
I went to church today. What was the message? I can't remember, but it was good. That is not going to work in this time. Are you listening to me? It is very important we understand, and I'm not just going through this story so that you know that I receive visions. That is not what I'm doing. I'm trying to help you to understand why we do what we do and why as a ministry we are oriented in a particular direction. Remember that others were doing good stuff and others will keep doing good stuff. In fact, a lot of people will not see what I'm talking about because they are not called to do that. But in high life, we are called to do that. And that is why we are going to take responsibility for everybody coming into the same knowledge. It is not just going to be about teaching. It is also going to be about training and equipping you to do the work of the ministry. I cannot tell you the number of dreams I have had where I have been preaching from the back of the hall. And we're all looking to the stage. Where I was right in the middle of the congregation and we're all looking in this direction. It is no longer about somebody being on stage telling you what to do. No, we are going to come into the same knowledge because we are going to move forward together as the army of God. You know, years ago, I had a dream where, you know, one of my former pastors, I was having a meeting, you know, an open field. And I invited one of my former pastors to come join me. And in that dream, it seemed as though I had already told him not to come anymore. I'd initially invited him, but I decided I didn't really want him to be there. But for some reason, he showed up. And I was out on the stage, getting ready to preach, and I saw he and his team come around. So I thought, well, courtesy will demand that you let him have a few minutes. So I told him to come up on stage. So he asked his um, worship leader to come on stage first. And as soon as the worship leader got on stage... You know, everyone was gathered around listening to me. As soon as the worship leader got on stage, he told everyone to step back. He said, move back. It was an open field. He said, move back. And they started moving back. And he said, keep moving back. All the way to the back. So he wanted to create distance. And as this was happening, I was getting so upset. And then I woke up. And the Lord said to me that the old paradigm is one of distance. The laity and the pulpit. He said, the new paradigm, my people are all going to come together. And he said, be careful that you do not make the wrong associations because of respect and because of trying to be liked. Do not form the wrong alliances that will cause you to embrace a ministry perspective that creates distance between the ministers and the people because you are all ministers. And I'm not just saying this for my benefit, I'm saying it for your benefit because it is important that your orientation changes. From, oh, I'm just coming to church. It's not about coming to church. It is about coming to receive the mind of God and it's about embracing the fact that you and I are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. So one thing that is changing one mark of this new paradigm is that we are moving forward together as the army of God. Number two, and I'll just give you the reference for this. If you look at 1 Chronicles 15, 25 to 28. You know, it's about the glory of God, isn't it? We said that the glory of God is coming. It's coming to the earth. We are preparing the way. We are building a highway for our God to land. Hallelujah. First is understanding that we are moving together. Unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Yeah? You need to take church seriously. 
When you come, understand that we're not just here to teach you. We're here to train you and equip you. Hallelujah. Because we're moving forward together. I can't get into a fight. I can't have you with me or you, me with you as army if you don't know how to use your equipment. We're going to be in the trenches together. Yeah? It's important that we all understand how to use the equipment. Otherwise, we're not going anywhere. So this is training ground. Hallelujah. Number two, in First Chronicles 15, it is the story of um, the glory of God coming back into Jerusalem. And you know, they had um, initially thought that, well, the way the glory comes is put it on a new cart and, um, you know, and that was disastrous. But then they discovered, they went back, David went back to inquire as to how the glory comes. Because the glory of God will come into a house. You see, what is going to happen in this day is that as we build according to his pattern, God's glory will be here. And when the glory of God is here, people will get healed. People will get delivered. We will receive witty inventions. You are going to enter into a dimension of the supernatural where your dreams, you will receive solutions to the problems in the city in your industry. That's what the glory does. And God said to Israel, the glory ain't coming unless you are building according to my pattern. So we're talking about the pattern here. Pattern number one is we are moving together. It's no longer about, oh, the pastor. No, we are moving together. I'm going to position myself in a place where I can draw insight and knowledge and I incorporate it into my life. Yeah, and demand fruit from the seed. Number two, we see that the glory of God came on the shoulders of sanctified men and on the wings of praise and worship. They had tried another way, but when he consulted with the elders, they discovered the way to bring the glory in. And you can read the story in your own time. It was not put on a cart. It was carried on the shoulders of sanctified men, of the priests. And before the Ark of the Covenant, there was great praise and worship. So in this time, there is going to be an emphasis on repentance and holiness. Yeah? I remember John the Baptist preached a gospel of repentance. Did he not? An emphasis on repentance, an emphasis on holiness... And we're going to begin to hear a sound. There's going to be a sound of worship. And that sound is going to carry us into the very presence of God. It's going to be that sound. That's number two. That's what's going to be different. Number three, a small is going to become the new big. I am not saying that there are not going to be big ministries because they will. But even in every big ministry, the power of that big ministry is going to be in the small groups. Small is going to be the new big. You know when Jesus said that where two or three are gathered together in my name, he is there in the midst of them. He did not mean that as long as there are two or three. He meant that it is only when two or three are gathered that I can be there. Because it is only in a small company that you can have unity. The way we have unity among 5,000 people is if you had 2,000 small groups of two and three. If all you had was 10,000 people, he's not going to be in the midst of them because 
The power of unity. Have you ever tried to get unity among 5,000 people? You're not going to get it. You have to grow it small. It has to be in subsets. It's like your body. The reason why you have cells is because you need that small unit to work properly for the power of the large to be released. Are you with me? And that is why the building of the individual believer, that is why the submission of the individual believer to one another, the understanding of the fact that I am interdependent with my fellow believer and coming into that understanding is one of the keys to what God is doing in this time. Small is the new big. You know, when Jesus spoke in John 6, verse 60, he began to teach stuff and a lot of people left him. And the Bible says they never came back. So, you know, when you start preaching some stuff, people are going to leave. And in fact, Jesus did not say, oh, we're trying to keep everybody. He turned to his disciples and said, do you want to go too? Now, it's not because he doesn't like people. You know, eventually, 120 people got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then the whole world turned upside down. But he needed the right people. I mean, when God visited the army of Gideon, there were 32,000. He said, you're too many. He said, you guys are too many. And he showed Gideon that he didn't actually have 32,000. Because I just asked them, who is afraid I want to go home? 22,000 left. And they had not even seen war yet. He said, who is afraid? Who is afraid? You can go. No repercussion. We don't mind. 22,000 left. And then he said, you're still, you're still too, too many. With 10,000 people, he said, okay, let me see who is ready. Only 300 were ready. And out of that 300, he brought great deliverance. Small is the new big. You know, when I do certain things, because I like people, though. You may not know that. I like people, you know. I mean, a few months ago, I had this, this dream where this pulpit was in the back of a pickup truck, like a hillocks, and I was in the middle of the highway, and we were dropping the pulpit in the middle of the highway, and I was getting ready to preach. In the middle of the major road, there were cars going all around. And myself and the team were trying to figure out how to get our PA speakers in place and still avoid the vehicles that were driving back and forth because we were going to be preaching here. This is where, where we are going to be preaching now. Yeah? The new church is going to be located where? That's where the new church is. It's going to be located on the highway. And then after that scene, I go into a room where there were just about 12 people. And 12 is the number of God's government. And the first thing someone said was, we are the only ones here now. And these guys were very animated. Everybody was engaged in what we were doing. There was a very strong partnership. In fact, I was just sitting down watching. Everyone was like, we're doing this. We're planning this. We're doing that. So it was a very engaged team. Are you with me? Now, when that happened, after I got up, I thought, Lord... Aren't we small enough yet? <laughs> yeah? And, you know, I began to feel that, you know, there's going to be a shaking happening in this church. And just because I say it doesn't mean I like what I'm saying. Yeah? But, you know, I know that small is the new big. And God is doing something. You know, um, there's somebody who had left the church. And uh, very recently I got wind that he had put some stuff on WhatsApp. Some of these WhatsApp groups. And he talked about how... High Life is a very uh, racist church. You know, we practice segregation, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, when I hear and I read those things, they, you guys may think I'm hard, but I'm actually quite a soft person. They sadden me when I read things like that because um, 
And you know, sometimes when people leave, members of the church don't understand why. So the devil can use it as a way of, of creating division and suspicion, even though there's no reason to be suspicious. But the devil sort of exploits these things, and you get a lot of gossip going around, and people start talking, because it's just like, why did they leave? What happened? What did we do? What didn't we do? What is happening that we don't know? You know, all these kinds of stuff happen. And, um, and I know that sometimes the things that we do are misunderstood. Like, for instance, um, we set up, and I don't know many churches that do this, but we set up, um, we have different sort of expressions. You know, we have different services, but rather than doing the same thing in each service, we actually tailor the content of the service to meet the needs of the people. And that was actually based on a revelation I had about speaking in the language of the harvest. But, you know, some people thought that we did it based on a socio-economic kind of division. You know, because in the earlier service, community service, we have a soup kitchen and we have a different team, etc. So it was like, okay, the rich people are in one and then the poor people are in the other and that we're trying to segregate. And I think that that was the basis on which this gentleman said what he said. And what hurts is the fact that sometimes people don't ask. They just assume certain things. And we're trying as much as possible to correct some of these wrong notions. But having said that, though, there would always be a shift that takes place. And I think that given the phase that we're going through right now, we're going to see some shaking because we are adjusting our structure to suit our assignment. Are you with me? We have to do that. I have to do that. I actually don't have a choice. Yeah? If we're servants of the Lord and the Lord has given us revelation, we have to make adjustments based on what he's revealing. Yeah? And even though I want everyone to agree with me, it's not required for me to take action. Shandai. It's a good Shandai place. Yeah? All I have to do is make sure that this is what the Lord is telling me to do. I've said small is the new big. Number four, it's going to be a faceless company. It's going to be a faceless company. There are going to be all these strong men and women. I say, who is their leader? I say, well, the Lord is our leader. It's going to be a faceless company. Yeah? The reason why you don't see my face on posters, it's not because I don't like advertising. But in my heart, I know that this company is going to be a faceless company. I know that. It's not because I do not know what God has called me to do. Yeah? But I know that what he's building here is going to be a faceless company. There are going to be strong men and women that are arising from this place. Like Balaam said in Numbers 23, 21, he said that he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord God is with him, and the shout of the king is among them. A people among whom you hear the shout of the king. Lastly, the affairs of the city are going to embrace our hearts. You know, we're talking about the ecclesia, the government of God. And you know, as we build this highway for our God, it is not just a highway that is, it is a highway that is going to go into every industry. Into every industry. The industry you are in, you are going to build the highway of God in that industry. The affairs of the city are going to embrace our hearts. Because, you know, the purpose of this company is not koinonia. Yes, fellowship is vital. 
But the purpose of this company is ecclesia. It is the government of God. Our fellowship is the fruit of us embracing the joint vision. Are you with me? Our purpose is not, oh, we want to fellowship together. No. It is, yes, our fellowship is with God and with one another, but we have a mission that is beyond fellowship. Are you with me? It is the transformation of the earth. It is the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. It is every industry understanding and seeing the life of God in it. It is you and I receiving equipment to go and be difference makers in our world. And as we come together, and as we pray together, and as we deliberate together, our fellowship is strong because our purpose is clear. Hallelujah. So I'll just tell you a few things that are changing organizationally. And you'll see this happen in the next few weeks and months. Number one, I believe that we are called to be a fortress of truth. You are going to see a lot of studying, a lot of studies, a lot of manuals coming out of high life that other churches will use and adopt. A fortress of truth. Number two, you are going to hear sounds of the season. The reason why, I mean, Kenny and a few of the other members of the worship team are beginning to write songs. Uh, it's not coincidental that that is happening. In this house, you are going to begin to hear songs that are going to start coming out. And the songs are going to be an indication of what God is doing in this time. And the songs are going to go from here and they're going to go around the whole body of Christ. It is not because we're anything special. It's because of what he has called us to do. This is going to become an incubator of people who are hearing the sounds of the season. And that is why you're going to see albums coming out of high life. Yeah? Because the sounds of the season are going to come from here. Number three, we're starting a prophetic school, Parousia School of Prophetic Ministry. You're going to see that happen um, this year. We're going to start the Niara uh, School of Kingdom Leadership and Government. You're going to see that happen this year. It is a place where we are building this highway for our God. And it's going to be a fortress of truth. And you're going to see different things happening. You know, we had, we had our circle of friends. You know, circle of friends was something that we did, our neighborhood fellowship groups. And, you know, at the time, the whole purpose of circle of friends uh, was about fellowship. But we're redefining that because the whole purpose of our neighborhood groups will no longer be just fellowship, okay? So we're rebranding it and we're, we're changing the structure of our neighborhood operations. And you're going to hear more about that in the next few days and weeks. Yes, fellowship is a foundation, but beyond fellowship is discipleship and also impact in our different communities. Yeah, No longer will we have a community expression where that expression does not know what the political structure is in that place. If we are the ecclesia of God and we're an extension of his government, then the affairs of our community must embrace our hearts. Yeah? 
If we are not relevant in that community, we have no reason to be there. Yeah? So, as a church, we're all going to go through training. Our community groups are going to become more vital than ever because as I've established, it is the foundation of fellowship. But beyond that, our purpose of being the ecclesia in reaching our world is going to start in small groups as a community. So we're changing that from COF to high-impact teams that are going to be community-based. Building the King's Highway. Praise God. Do you get something out of this this morning? Praise the Lord. Amen. 